This is the second message on the glories of heaven, so we are going to pick up where we left off last time, and going back, what we did, it was pretty basic the first time, heaven is God's dwelling place. I, you know, that's something that doesn't even come under consideration. We know that if we're going to go to heaven, we're going to be there with God, and, and that is true. And so we kind of looked at some verses last time, but tonight what I want to do is look at the next kind of step in that, and consider what heaven is like. What is heaven going to be like when we get there? And I don't know what kind of conception of heaven that you might have, and of course, if you've read the Word of God, then you have an idea of some of the passages in Scripture that talk about what heaven is going to be like. But it's kind of interesting to see how the world depicts heaven uh, from time to time, you know, in the entertainment world or, you know, a movie or a show that you might watch. And I remember the last time that heaven was kind of... uh, depicted there was just this uh, just a serene you know this peaceful music and just a serene scene and you have all these little lights like the dust you know when the light shines through the window and you know you see the dust particles you know y'all know what I'm talking about so they just kind of pictured heaven like that and and uh, the person that was going there was one of the little uh, dust mites floating in you know in this in heaven with light but I don't know That was the last one I saw. I don't know if anybody has seen any other kinds of depictions of heaven. But uh, anyway, that's uh, sometimes I think that that's maybe the prevalent kind of view of the world. The world has of what heaven is going to be like. But I don't know. But let's look at the Bible and we'll have an idea, maybe a little better idea of what we can expect when we consider heaven. Now I want to go back to this verse, and this is a verse that we covered when we looked at Exodus. So during our Exodus sermons, we looked at this, and it talks about Moses building the tabernacle. And it says this, in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5, it says, "...who served the copy and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain." So when Moses was constructing the tabernacle, and you remember the tabernacle was the tent that the people of Israel made that represented the presence of God in their midst. So when Moses made that tabernacle, he couldn't just make it any way that he wanted. And Hebrews 8, 5 tells us one of the reasons why. Because that tabernacle that he made was a copy and a shadow of heavenly things. So this tabernacle on earth was meant to signify some, some of the things that are found in heaven. So here's a picture of the tabernacle, uh, the tent of meeting, and inside, it's hard to see in the picture, but you have inside the tent, there are really two sections to it. You have the holy place, which is the larger front section, which has... Um, the altar of incense, and there's a veil separating that from the other place, and there's the lampstand and the incense altar. So these are, are, yeah, I already said that one, but anyway, these are some of the things in the front part, but then you have this thick veil, and if you go through the veil, you come into the Holy of Holies, or the most holy place, and in the Holy of Holies, there is the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant On top of the Ark of the Covenant, there were basically two things. You had the mercy seat in the center, and you had the cherubim, two cherubim, which extended its wings over the mercy seat. So that's the Ark of the Covenant. 
that was inside the most holy place, and that, of course, represented the place where God dwelt among the people. So this setup reflects or reflected the reality of heaven. So every time the people of Israel looked at this, it wasn't just a haphazard kind of tent that Moses threw together. It was meant to depict the reality of what heaven would be like in a small way. And sure enough, when we turn to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5, we start to see some of these things come out. And as we read through the whole book of Revelation, uh, we see a whole lot of the elements of things that we saw in the Old Testament And in the tabernacle here, we see these things coming through um, and coming out and being expressed. So we see the reality of it. And one of the prominent things that we see, and we'll see it, we're going to read it in a moment in Revelation 4, is God's throne, which is kind of symbolized by the mercy seat in the tabernacle. So we're going to look at that in a moment. All right, so let's turn to Revelation chapter 4 now. We're going to read chapters 4 and 5, and I'll need a few of you to volunteer to read as we get through these chapters, they're not very long chapters, so uh, maybe some of you will, maybe we'll do one paragraph at a time. <clears throat> now, another thing uh, that we consider, uh, like I said before, when we go to heaven, it's not going to be that we're just going to kind of float in God's presence. Now, beyond a doubt, the greatest experience that we will have in heaven is coming face to face with God. There, there is no question about it. And the presence of God will just overshadow everything else in so many ways for us. Uh, the greatest joy that we will experience will be the joy of being in the presence of God. There, there will be nothing else that comes remotely close to that. However, when we consider heaven, we don't see in Scripture that heaven is just kind of basking in the presence of God. It's not just simply that, as great as that is. I, I can't even imagine anything greater than uh, just basking in the presence of God. But heaven is, is a lot of things, and that's just one part of it. So let's look at Revelation chapter, chapters 4 and 5, and as we read through these chapters, I want you to kind of Think or focus in on some of the things that stand out to you. This is John being caught up to heaven and seeing the real heaven, the real presence of God. That's what we have in Revelation chapters 4 and 5. So um, make a note of the things that stand out to you about what heaven is going to be like, because this is one of the clearest pictures that we have of what heaven is like, I believe, right now. Okay? So let's read Revelation chapter 4, and if someone could start off by reading verses 1 through 5. Revelation 4, 1 through 5. Okay, Tyson? Thank you, Ruth. Now, I want to take a couple of moments, and I want us to identify some of the things in chapters 4 and 5 that stand out to you about what heaven is going to be like. So what do you think? What, what, what kind of things do we read here that just kind of uh, 
stand out or make an impression upon you. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now that's not insignificant. I mean, right there. I mean, if we're, we're talking about angelic beings and, I, and we, we see from this chapter that not all angels are the same. They're not all the same. There are different kinds of angelic beings. And this is something that just kind of stands out throughout the book of Revelation. You, you just have, I mean, we, they're called angels or they're called messengers, but they're different in maybe in their size or in the way that they speak or in the things that they do. And so in this chapter, we find at least the four living creatures. Now, the four living creatures we've met before in the book of Ezekiel. Um, but then there's these 24 elders, and we don't know exactly who or what they are, but regardless of whether you believe they're angelic beings or if you think that they're maybe um, the 12 tribes of Israel and uh, the 12 apostles, or it doesn't matter. We're talking about... Uh, you have the four living creatures, and you have the 24 elders, and then you have whatever else is mentioned there. And so this is really important, because we find this throughout the Bible. We find a distinction. Uh, one of the things that comes to mind is in the book of Daniel, where Daniel starts to pray, and as soon as he begins to pray, God dispatches an angel immediately, and this angel is prevented by another angel, the prince of Persia, and keeps him from coming uh, all the way through, so for three weeks. So this is, a, we see a difference in the power and the ability of the angelic beings and a difference in their realms. And then there's Michael, who is named specifically, and he comes and he battles, and the first angel is allowed to go through. So we have this distinction. It's not just in the angelic realm, but there are passages in the New Testament that identify distinctions among the evil spiritual realm as well. And so we have this distinction or these different kinds of angelic beings or evil spirits or however you want to uh, identify them. So yes, there, I mean, we have this picture in heaven of different kinds of creatures, if I can use that word. Okay, spiritual beings, angelic beings. Okay, good. What else? Yeah, Ron. Yeah. And you know, that whole scenario there where he describes before the, the throne of God and he closes it out with the seven spirits of God appearing in his plane. Yes, that's right. The Spirit of God, right. right. Yeah, that's amazing. So you have these precious stones and the rainbow, and the idea I think that's conveyed in that is the presence of light and color. And I just remembered that the last time I was supposed to get you the name of that book that was a collation of all of the different experiences that people had who died and went to heaven. So he kind of puts them all together and he shares a story and he filters them out to uh, try to uh, isolate or land on the ones that he believes are really genuine visions of people after they died of heaven. So anyway, I'll, I'll, hopefully I'll remember for the next time, but... <laughs> Um, one of the things that stand out in this book is the color and the light that is present. These people, they experience color and light. There's, there's just brilliant, overwhelming color and light in heaven. So I, I, that, was, that was kind of 
something that stood out to me in, in this guy's book. All right, good. What else stands out in these two chapters? Ruth? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Now that we wouldn't, we're not really surprised. I mean, we, we, we would expect that, okay, well, you know, we're, there's going to be some praises to God in heaven. And uh, for sure we see that. But what's interesting, I think, about the praising of God is that you have the different creatures praising God in different ways. And I think that that's kind of uh, interesting. As a matter of fact, there's a verse that says, uh, this is later in chapters 21 and 22, that says, um, we're going to sing a new song to him. So uh, that, that's another amazing uh, thing for you music people, that there's this huge variety of music and songs and you know the, the words to these praises that are given before God, and there is more yet to come, and there's one, or at least one, that we will learn and sing in our praises to God as well. All right, good. Tyson? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's not the yeah. It's not like uh, those little dust particles floating in the... (laughs) So you see what Tyson is saying in chapter 4, verse 5. From the throne proceeds lightning, thunder, and voices, lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. So lightning and thunder. I mean, how many of you like thunderstorms? Anybody like thunderstorms? All right, I'm one of those who like thunderstorms. I mean, as long as I'm inside, of course, you know. Let the thunder, let the thunder roll and the lightning strike. I love that. You know, just the, 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 the louder and the stronger, the better. And of course, this is all assuming I'm safe, right? Okay. So, so I just love that thunderstorm. Um, anyway, this, this is, uh, I think here we have some powerful sounds that come forth from the presence of God, the lightning and the thunders. And again, this is not unique to this passage here. We do see this in other passages of Scripture. He, it, it says he rides on the clouds. So the, the whole idea of you know, God in the storm, um, the storm serves as a veil like for the presence of God. And I think we kind of see that here. And this veil that is uh, you know, surrounding the presence of God is, is uh, tumultuous in a sense. Thunder and lightning. Uh, but at the same time, that does not mean that we're not going to have peace in heaven because we also see in the book of Hebrews, for example, that it is in heaven that we enter into our rest. So you know how God created on, in six days and rested on the seventh day? Well, that was meant to be a picture of the true rest that is found in Jesus Christ, of course, which we will experience to its fullness when we enter into the presence of God in heaven. So even though you have this thunder and lightning, um, there's still the peace that we'll experience. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes, right? There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more sadness. He will take care of it all. So there's that peace. And yet, maybe the comfort that we find, oh, that, that reminds me, I have a little, uh, 
you know how some people put fans on and, and stuff? Well, I have this little app on my phone, and uh, sometimes when uh, Christina's not there because she doesn't like it, but I, I play a thunderstorm app in the background to help me sleep. You know, it's just kind of a comforting, it's a comfort to me, a comforting sound. So there's, there can be peace in the midst of the thunderstorm. <laughs> so there we go, okay? Uh, I'm a test, I testify to that and it's something I can look forward to to heaven. So we can have peace and we can also have the lightning and the thunder at the same time. Ruth? That's right, as long as I'm safe, right? <laughs> Yeah. That's right. It's not threatening. It's coming from the presence of God who loves us and we love him and it's not threatening so we can bask in its uh, power and awesomeness. Yeah, that's great. Good. Other other things that stand out to you in this chap these two chapters. Anything else? Dan Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't think we're gonna have to sleep in heaven. Isn't that a great thing? And uh, I don't think the angels have to sleep either. So. Uh... Yeah, I think that's that's. I think that's. Yeah, I don't know what that looks like. And there's uh, if you if you start to search for some of these images online. It's amazing the variety of pictures that come. Some of them are well done and some of them are like, I don't know where you got that from, but uh, that's scary and I don't think this is going to be any, it's going to be scary. I think it's, I don't know what it's going to be looking like, but I think the eyes are symbolic of seeing everything. And uh, you'll notice, I, I don't remember, we, yeah, we read about the lamb and he has seven eyes. And the seven eyes are the seven spirits of God. And it's just interesting that it, it, I, I believe that's clearly a reference to the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. And he's depicted as having the seven, which is a perfect, a perfect number. And so I, I think it's symbolic of God being all-seeing. And these four living creatures are close to God always. I mean, they're the cherubim over, you know, over the mercy seat in the... In the Holy of Holies, on the Ark of the Covenant, those are the cherubim. And they're the cherubim in Ezekiel chapter 1 and 10 that are carrying God's presence in the cloud and in the storm. And, and I think it's just representative of the, the scene of God. But it's, it's, it's really strange. You know, they have four, four heads and they're, each head is different and they have eyes within. And in Ezekiel, it talks about wheels within wheels. It's just really interesting descriptions and I can't tell you much more than that but uh, yeah so that's what I think the eyes stand for good any anything else stand out in these two chapters yeah Well, I, I think it, it uh, speaks to the fact that there is a structure to all of the creatures, that not all of the angels, and I think it's, we see it among humans too, not everybody, well, we're equal in worth, but not, we don't have the same roles, and we're not made for the same things. And I think we see the same thing 
with respect to the angelic beings. So the four living creatures are angelic beings, and they have a specific purpose. And then you have a whole lot of other angels that cannot be numbered, and, and I think that you have a structure. And I think the elders, the 24 elders, speak to that structure and make it's a reference to that structure in heaven. And so this is really interesting because when we get to heaven, there is going to be this, this structure that governs all of the creation of God. And that will continue on into eternity. It's, it's pretty amazing. And if you have a structure, what does that kind of imply? If you have this hierarchy of beings and you have a structure and a, um, I hate to use the word pecking order because sometimes that's not a, uh, said in a, in a positive way, but if you have this varying degree of structure and authority, what does that imply? There's order, There's order in heaven. That's right, there's no chaos, and, and that might be a good contrast to what we might see within the demonic kingdom, all right, where we might expect to see chaos. Ron? Well, it indicates that God has created everything with specific Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that, yeah, that's, yeah, that's great. I would, we would expect the same thing in heaven. We are created in, you know, uniquely. We are gifted even now uniquely. And that gifting that God gives to us implies that there is a, you do, you have your job, I have my job, and all of our jobs, you know, they all work together for the glory of God. And I think that that's going to continue, not only with respect to us as humans in heaven, but with respect to, even now, the angelic world, the angelic you know, community. They were created with a purpose, and it was, it's not all identical to each other. They have uh, you know, varying gifts and varying you know, places in that order. And another thing that that implies is that there is a lot that will go on. If you have all of these creatures and beings that are created with different uh, capacities and places and and gifts that imply, and everybody has to do their thing, that implies a whole lot is going on in heaven, and it's not all identical. So we might get to heaven, and you, you'll have your place, and I'll have my place, and we're not necessarily going to be in the same place. So there's going to be a lot. As a matter of fact, as we read through this, there are things, and we go into chapter 6, um, there are th- there's a lot happening. I mean, you just read through the, the rest of the book of Revelation. There's a lot happening in heaven. Angels come forward, and some have trumpets, and others have bowls, and, and there's this scroll, and there's the lamb who was slain, and he's going to be there. And he has his role, and, and of course, things that take place in heaven also have an impact uh, at this time uh, on the earth and what happens on the earth. So we see that there's action, there's activity, there's movement, there's communication. Uh, you know, these angelic beings, they praise God, but there's also communication, you know, with one another. We'll see that from time to time. And I, I think something else that we can mention here is that heaven, 
then, is a place where there are distinctions between the beings. So we're going to be one with him in some sense, but we're going to maintain our identity still. And I say that it's a place because we know that Jesus rose bodily from the grave, right? And he went to heaven. And so there's this, there's this spatial place where communication which in, takes place, which, in, which implies time. You know, one word follows another. Uh, that's necessary in communication, time. So time and space and um, so that's what heaven is going to be like. And of, and of course, there's a spiritual component, which I don't, we can't understand as far as, uh, you know, our physical dimensions. But that's going to be in play as well. But it just opens up the door to this amazing place and the potential there that we can only begin to grasp just, uh, just, just a little bit. And of course, it's no big deal for God to do that kind of a thing. I mean, he can create not just the earth, but he created the heaven and where the angels are, and uh, it's easy for him to do all that. And of course, the heaven of heavens, we talk about God being there, but the heaven of heavens cannot contain the full presence of God. He is the eternal, infinite God. And so heaven is a place where even there he will manifest himself um, in a way, but not fully. It would be impossible to, for him to fully manifest himself. All right, Tina. Yeah. Yeah. That that's a great question. I, I love the. Oh yeah, I, I was actually going to get. Yeah. I was going to get to there uh, on the here. I got some verses here for you, just for you, okay, Tina. This is Second Peter chapter three, verse thirteen. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And then in the Revelation chapter twenty-one, this is when He actually does it. it. Says, "Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away; also there was no more sea." Now. Um, here, here's kind of a summary of, I'm going to get a, this, this is kind of a teaser here. I'm getting ahead of myself of what we can expect as we move through this study. But um, our, right now, the way that it kind of goes, and this is just an overview, but right now what happens is we die as believers and our body goes where? Our body, our, the physical, where? Yeah, to the earth. And our spirits go, go to heaven. Well, there's coming a day when Jesus is going to return, right? And when he returns, there's going to be this resurrection from the dead. So our spirits and our, our bodies are going to rise from the dead, and our spirits will be re, rejoined with that. And um, so we'll, we'll be with Jesus, but we'll probably be on this earth, because after all, when Jesus returns to this earth, he's going to rule and reign for how long? For a thousand years. So we're going to be right back here on this earth for a thousand years. And after the thousand years is over, there's going to be a, another rebellion by Satan. I don't understand how that could happen, but it's going to happen at the end of the thousand years. And finally, the, uh, the devil will be destroyed in the lake of fire. And this is when he makes uh, the new heaven and the new earth. So 
we don't just die and go to heaven forever. <laughs> I like the way Tyson, I've been thinking about how you said it the, the last time. Do you remember what you told me? <laughs> Tyson said something, don't get used to, you know, wherever you're at, because, you know, you're going to go to heaven, and you come back to the earth, and then he makes a new earth, and then heaven comes down on earth, and there's a whole lot in store for us going on into eternity. And, um, and these are just, uh, just some of the, the things that the Bible tells us. Um, we don't get the whole picture, but I can imagine as great as God is, as amazing as He is, that um, whatever He has in store for the future is just going to be mind-boggling for us. Uh, I, I, it's going to be an adventure. There is... There's going to be so much that we will, of course, God is infinite. We will never exhaust God and his plans and his person. We will never exhaust. There is enough of God to keep us going for all of eternity. I don't, uh, if, you, if you know what I mean. I mean, we'll never get bored of God. He, he is just infinite and eternal. We will never bore or tire of him. There will always be something in his presence to keep us uh, going with him for all of eternity. All right, good. Any other questions? Yeah, Anthony. Um, I got two. Two. Okay. You can only ask one. I'll charge you for the second one. No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So that's one of the things we get to do, right? Okay. That's in First Corinthians, I think, 15. Oh, well, I don't know. 1 Corinthians 6, he says, why are, you guys, why are you guys bickering against each other? It's better for you to get wrong. Don't you know that you're going to judge the angels? So, in other words, you know, come on, get a grip. Don't get so upset with each other. You, you have a special place. So, anyway, yes. That's a good question. Right. Yeah, that's a great question. I'm not going to answer that now. You're going to have to wait till another time before I get get to that. Because that's an important question. Uh, one of the questions that people ask is, well, one of the comforts that we take, well, a couple of comforts. First, when somebody, a loved one dies and they go to heaven, that, we're comforted by that, the, the knowledge that they're in heaven. Another comfort that we take is the idea that maybe we'll see them and know them in heaven. We'll be reunited with them in heaven. So those are, those are two important ideas that bring comfort to us now. And uh, we have to address that. So we'll, we'll look at those. We'll, we'll look at that question down the road, <laughs> Lord willing, and see what the Bible has to say about that. Yeah, Ruth? Yeah. Yeah. Well, those are people we know that went to heaven. Yeah. Then those 24 elders are probably saying, now. Now. Yeah. I, I think so. Yeah. I kind of, I mean, I, I, I understand the structure. Yeah. I'm not sure I understand the needs of the structure. Right. Yeah. And I. But I kind of think it's Christ's fault. The Lord of Yeah. Yeah, it's it's going back to it and it the the turbo version of Eden, 
So Eden plus. Yeah, it's going to be much greater than the garden. Garden of Eden on earth, again, I think is a picture of the eternal paradise that we will experience. So it's, it's like a, a shadow. And as a shadow, the reality is much greater. But yeah, I do. And going back to what you said about the 24 elders, I'm not positive who, I can't, I'm not positive who they are, what they represent. Um, but that's one of the mysteries. In my opinion, I think that they're already in place. Yeah, right now. As well as the living creatures. But I could be wrong about that. All right, anybody else? Hey, yeah, Tyson. Right. Right. Yeah, I think what you're saying with respect to Revelation, is it chronological or not? Is that kind of what you're saying? Because John is, so John is caught up and he's in heaven in the spirit and he sees all of these things in the spirit. So because he's in the spirit, then he might not be, it, it's sort of like um, the Christmas story where Scrooge has these three visits of the angels, and, and it's not really meant to be chronological. He's taken to different times in his life, past, present, and future, and he is able to see things, but for him, it's not really like progressing chronologically as you know, the events that, that's, that they see. And so if John is caught up in the Spirit and he sees all of these things, then um, what does that say potentially about the chronology of the events as, that they take place on earth? Is he really seeing the chronology uh, as they take place, or is he just kind of seeing um, snapshots of the events? Uh, and I suppose that that's a possibility. Uh, I, I think that there is, again, this is just my opinion, I think there's just too much in Revelation that is chronological, even apart from John, like for example, Jesus is going to return towards you know after certain events, and then there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth after that, and there's the thousand year period, which is after his return, but before the new heaven and the new earth. So things like that, I, I think there's too much chronology to say. Well, maybe it's um, you know snapshots, but it still could be because there's there's apparent overlap between the seals and the bowls and the trumpets and uh, they like the first four seals affect the same thing as the first four trumpets which affect the same thing as the some of the bowls and most striking to me is that the last one in each one has some kind of reference to the return of Christ which is you know that, that's pretty amazing there so I, I really can't speak to that. I personally tend to lean towards a strong chronological order to Revelation. Again, that's my opinion, but I can't be dogmatic about it. Um, there's just so much mystery and things I don't understand. But it's possible. What you're saying is possible. Um, he's clearly not seeing everything you know, from beginning to end. There's clearly some gaps there, but I, you know, it's kind of hard to nail that down if if you can even do that. Well, I was 
Right, sure. Right. Right. Sure. Right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, we could have a lot, there could be a lot of that going on. And, but, but I think bringing it back to our topic, what we have for sure is that there's a lot that goes on in heaven and on earth into eternity. And all of these different things just, I think, kind of testify to that. And so um, I don't think we're going to ever get bored. Uh, we're never going to just get, we're never get bored. There's never going to be a shortage of things to do. And I think, you know, as we look at Revelation, which gives us a glimpse of heaven, I, I think that that testifies to the fact that heaven will be a full and exciting and activity-ridden place. It's just going to be just full. And, and I like to compare it to our lives here. There's just a fullness of activity and things that we can engage in on this earth. And if we just kind of multiply that by a million... I think that's what heaven's going to be like. So much more to engage us in the heavenly place than we're accustomed to here. So that's something fantastic for me anyways to look forward to in heaven.